Turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. 1 Peter, chapter 1. We read that chapter taking as our text the last verses of the chapter, verses 22 through 25. We hear the inspired, infallible Word of God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. Who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy. For I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. And here follow the words of our text. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth, Through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. 
We read that far. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, do we love fellow Christians as Christians? Do we love them because of their relationship to God and to Jesus Christ? Do we count them the excellent of the earth, as we sang in Psalter number 27? Do we seek fellowship with them in the truth of God's word? As God's children, we must, and as God's children, we will. God has chosen us unto a marvelous and a glorious salvation. God has given to us a lively hope which carries us through trials. It carries us through tribulations. God has revealed to us the way of holiness. He's sealed our redemption through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And He works that love in our hearts. The love of Jehovah God in our hearts. And He works in us the grace then in turn to love, even as we have been loved. The main thought of this passage is the admonition here that's found in verse 22, that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. We understand the connection to the preceding. As God's elect children, we're pilgrims, we're strangers here below. That's how the apostle opened the chapter. Believers are few and scattered. And as they find themselves scattered throughout the world, they seek out one another in order that they might enjoy communion and fellowship with one another. Important it is that those believers stick together and that the bond that unites them is that bond of the love of God in Jesus Christ. A love that is so wondrous and so marvelous that it was shown through the shed blood of God's own Son. So that they have been redeemed. They've been bought. Not by silver and gold, but the blood of Jesus Christ. Having been given such a wondrous salvation, that love with which God loves us is evident. It can't be contained. It's that which will show itself fervently, zealously, in the lives of God's children. It'll show itself in all our relationships, beginning in the home, in marriage, with children, with parents. This love is a love that demonstrates itself within the congregation, among the saints. Christian brotherly love. We look at that, noting the marks, the means, and the origin. The apostle here speaks of an unfeigned love in verse 22. Now love as we know it is an attribute that belongs to God. God is love. And John establishes that clearly in 1 John. Love is the spiritual bond that exists within the triune God between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Binding them together in a perfect bond of fellowship and communion. And Colossians 3 verse 14 gives us probably the best biblical definition of love. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Charity or love is the bond of perfectness. It's not merely a sentiment. It's not an opinion that one has of another in the abstract. Love is a bond. It's a powerful bond by which Jehovah God unites himself with his own being, with the persons within that being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But extends outside of the Trinity with those whom he has redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. The power by which Jehovah God establishes a bond between himself and his elect children, giving them to know that bond as a bond of perfectness, a bond in which we enjoy perfection with the living God by a wonder of grace. Jehovah God choosing to himself a people and setting his love upon them so that they know 
union with Him as their highest and most precious gift. Love then is a matter of the deepest attitude of one's heart. Living within our heart is that wonder, that awareness. I'm united with God. God has taken me and He's bound me to Himself with a bond. A bond that's unbreakable and a bond that is so precious that it's identified as a bond of perfectness. That He, the living God, who's holy and righteous, looks upon me as one who's precious in His sight. That wonder of wonders touches our hearts. And it causes then our hearts to respond. Now you children in grade school this past week heard me speak at chapel. And there I expounded from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And you'll recall that chapter sets forth various characteristics of love. 1 Corinthians 13 talking about the central importance of love. And the apostle there is talking about one might have all kinds of gifts, and this is in the context of spiritual gifts. One might have all kinds of gifts, but what good are those gifts if he lacks love? What's crucial is that love or charity be evident. And then he speaks about what that charity is and what it does. In verses 4 and following, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Love, charity, is that which never fails because its origin is in God. And it works powerfully in the lives of those who are touched by it. This response and this wonder. Now, love in all of its wonder and perfection is evident only in God's children. Those who walk according to God's commands are those who walk in love. That's how Jesus identified his children and his disciples. He said, my disciples are those who walk in love one toward another. And the marvelous wonder, beloved, that the apostle here is establishing in this chapter is that Jehovah God has chosen you. He set His love upon you from all eternity. He embraced you, and now He binds you to Himself. And the reality then is that you know the power of the love of God in Jesus Christ. And that love now fills you to overflowing, and it is manifest in your life. So that Paul, Peter is not advocating here that the Christian church becomes something that she's not. He's admonishing the saints, live out of what you are. Live out of the power and the wonder of God's work in you. The holy fear, the trembling, the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And living out of that hope, more and more, love God and love one another with a pure heart fervently. Peter addresses the natural, necessary, practical fruit of God's wonder of election. This is what the power of election accomplishes within the hearts and lives of God's children. Now, Christian love has a number of characteristics. As we saw some of them in 1 Corinthians 13, here the apostle sets forth others. First, we're to love with a heart and a love that's sincere. Unfeigned means sincere. Now we're always tempted to be superficial. We kiss someone whom we're betraying with our tongue, with our actions behind their back. We're backbiting, we're slandering someone, and yet we're pretending 
that we care about them. We're pretending that we love them. We cover with kind words the evil thoughts that are going on in our mind. So that our love is not that love that is unfeigned. It's not sincere. That backbiting, that slandering so easily and so quickly takes hold of us. So that we're tempted to maintain an outward appearance for appearance sake, but within we're filled with selfishness and with the pursuit of my selfish goal and gain. Our words, smooth as butter, but our thoughts, pierce like a sword. Such is the temptation, according to our sinful nature. The love to which God calls us here is a love that is sincere, in which the inner feeling and the outward expression is in agreement. We love not in word merely, but in deed and in truth. Secondly, it's a love that flows from a pure heart. The love of God flows out of a regenerated heart. A heart that's pure, that's undefiled in Jesus Christ. And that pure heart has more than just the idea of sincerity. It includes freedom from all sinful, selfish ends. I love God. And I love for God's sake. And by God's grace, I overcome that selfish, lust-filled desire for me and for everything of myself. And I seek to love out of the love with which God has loved me. A love that knows no bounds. A love that knows no limitations. A love that is unconditional. That love of God shows itself within our hearts and in our lives in that pure love. Now at bottom, love then doesn't have to do really as much with our mind as with our heart. And as those who have new hearts, by the wonder of regeneration, that love now flows out of those pure hearts. Romans 5 verse 5 talks about God shedding abroad His love in our hearts. Out of the pure heart flows forth good things. And so we're admonished to show forth that love that God has placed in our hearts. Our sinful nature is inclined to twist that love and to use it, cover it, and to pursue selfish goals and selfish ends instead. God says, put off the old man. Put on the new. Put off temptation. Put off the ways of sin. And focus on the things that are good. The things that are lovely. This is an admonition. We need to be admonished at times to show forth the love that God Himself has put in our hearts. That love is there. Christ by His Spirit has implanted it there. And this reference makes clear then that that love is of God. This is God's work. It's the gift of His Spirit. Jehovah God alone is able to give a pure heart. God is love. And He alone works that love that we can walk in joy and live out of that love. Thirdly, fervently. Now that word is a word that expresses tremendous passion. Literally the idea is to be stretched out in such a way that one perseveres with intensity. And the idea is that Jehovah God is feeding our hearts from a heavenly source. And now that which flows out of our hearts then flows also in such a way that nothing can stop it. It will proceed from those hearts that have been transformed by the wonder of God. That love boils over with such fervency that nothing can quench it. Nothing can stop it. The Song of Solomon speaks of that. In Song of Solomon 8 verse 7, Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. So powerful is that wonder that God has planted in the hearts of His children that nothing, 
Nothing can quench it. That love will manifest itself and it will flow forth as it proceeds from that heavenly source of Jehovah God. This is a love then that weeps with a brother or sister who's weeping over their faults and sin. It's a love that rejoices with those who rejoice. It's a love that's constant. It's a love that's permanent. The word here is the same word that's used with regard to the saints when they were praying when Peter was imprisoned in Acts. In Acts 12 verse 5, we read that Peter had been imprisoned and the clear goal of Herod was to kill Peter. And the saints knew that. And so we read that the saints, while Peter was in prison, were praying without ceasing. They were praying fervently. They were stretched to their limits. And they were persevering with intensity in that gift that God had given them of prayer. Praying for Peter, for his well-being, and for the circumstances in which he found himself. That's the idea here with regard to love. Just as the causes of this love are permanent, they're constant, so the expressions of that love also are constant and permanent. It's a love that never fails. It's a love that will prevent weariness and well-doing. We always get to a point at times in our lives where we become weary. The burdens are so great. It seems as though we're constantly picking up after the children, constantly caring for this, or constantly engaged in this, or forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. Weary we become. But this is a love that is a power that continues. It perseveres by the power of God's grace. Why? It's not dependent upon the circumstances around me. It's not dependent upon the people who are on my pathway. This love is a love that flows from Jehovah God. And it is fervent. Finally, it's a love that's earnest. It's capable of performing tremendous wonders. It engages in costly sacrifices. The power of this love especially is seen in our Lord Jesus Christ and His willingness to give Himself up on Calvary in the place of those whom the Father gave Him. That's the power of this love. A love that gives and gives and gives. Willing even to spend oneself for the sake of those who are the object of that love. It's a love that moves parents to sacrifice for their children. Paying tuition. Scraping to make ends meet. Parents giving of their time for the sake of their children. There for them when they need you. Seeking the spiritual well-being of your children. It's a love that gives and gives and gives. Earnestly. It's a love that's evident within our marriages. The love of a husband bound to his wife. Giving himself for the sake of his wife. Confessing that he loves his wife as his own body. Just as the church is the body of Christ. So the wife is his body. And they're one. And flowing toward her then is this earnest love. This willingness to give of himself for her well-being and for her good. To be thoughtless toward one's wife. To treat her badly is not a reflection of such love. This is a love that overcomes obstacle after obstacle for the sake of God. And for the sake of his glory. Now, beloved, this love is shown in so many ways in the lives of God's children. Again, this is the love that we show toward our children. We don't consider our children as reprobates, as those who are unworthy or unable to love. We view them as God's covenant children, as those whom God entrusts to us, as those in whom God also has worked the wonder of His love in Jesus Christ. And we show them that love then as those who are joint heirs with us of the glorious wonder of the inheritance 
of Jehovah God. We believe this same God who's loved me is the God who's at work in the heart and life of my child. And so we teach them. We present them for baptism. We make the sacrifices for them. We lead them to the cross. We teach them the importance of confessing their sin. From early on, we teach them the importance of doing battle against their selfish desires. Showing love for God's sake. Serving others. This is a love that shows itself in godly friends. We pursue friends with whom we can express this love. That we can weep with them when they weep. That we can strengthen and encourage them when they stand in need of such encouragement. In their griefs, in their sorrows. Encouraging them in the Lord. This was a love that knit David and Jonathan together in a beautiful, loving friendship. The two of them encouraging one another in the Lord in the midst of the trials and struggles they faced. Jonathan, an unbelieving father. David, with the struggles and challenges of the opposition that he faced from Saul. But together, bound in that precious love. This is the love that moves us outside, sometimes of our comfort zones, to empathize with fellow saints. It's a love that moves us not to be ashamed of our fellow saints, regardless of their race or their color or their social status. This is a love that moves us to encourage and support a brother who's needy, a sister who's struggling, before they even have opportunity to come with us, come to us. We see the need. That's enough. We're there to assist them. As God's blessed us with so much, and now we desire to assist them. The power of this love is on the foreground here. And the apostle emphasizes it again in the context of strangers and pilgrims. We're being opposed on every side. The world is against us. The powers of the devil are raging against the saints. What will preserve and keep them? The love of God in Jesus Christ that lives in their hearts and by which they also mutually encourage one another. Now what's the means of that power and that love? The apostle says in verse 22, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. To love our brethren is the purpose behind the purifying of our souls. In other words, the apostle here is talking about our sanctification. As those who are sanctified in Christ, we desire to live more and more to the glory and honor of God. The chief end of our lives as redeemed children of our Heavenly Father is to glorify God who saved us from the bondage of sin and given us to know the joy and delight of heavenly life. The difficulty of the journey in which he places us is again, we need one another. We're pilgrims, we're strangers. As pilgrims, as strangers, we can't walk this path alone. We're called regularly to pitch in and to assist one another as we go down this path together. And love is the deep, motivating force behind our sanctification. Seeing ye have purified your souls. We desire more and more to be living as those who are holy so that we can love God and the neighbor more fully. That's the point here. Now, the apostle is not talking about this purification as something that still needs to be accomplished in the future. The apostle is not here so much admonishing us. Purify yourselves. He's saying, you are purified. He's saying, you have purified yourself. Now, how is that possible? We're still living in the midst of this world of sin and death. But though living yet in the realm of sin, God's people have purified their souls 
by confessing their sin, by clinging to the cross of Jesus Christ for forgiveness, receiving spiritual strength from Christ to do battle against sin and to do battle against the devil. And God is working this wonder. This isn't their doing. This is God's work. Notice by the Spirit. The Spirit has given the gift of faith. By faith, we're united to Christ. And knowing our union to Christ, we know that purification. I'm found in Him. I'm holy in Christ. I'm righteous in Jesus Christ. Seeing ye have purified your souls. Seeing you are those who are righteous in Jesus Christ. You live in love. But also, beloved, knowing the calling to love God and to love the brethren, consciously and deliberately, we do battle against sin. We realize what the devil's trying to do. The devil's trying to direct us to love self. The devil wants nothing better than us to get carried away with our own love for ourselves. And then we're not going to be loving God and we're not loving our fellow saints. And so we battle against the devil as he takes hold of us and he works anger and bitterness and wrath within us. We do battle against our flesh as our flesh is inclined to hold grudges and to keep ourselves from the pursuit of true love and fellowship. We battle against all those sins that would threaten our union one with another. We cannot continue down our journey if love is not that which is flowing in and through our lives. We need that love and we need one another. So bad that I am willing to deny self so that I can serve others. That's the point here of the Apostle. You have been purified in Jesus Christ and now your motivation is to walk in holiness, to walk in sanctification so that you can live out of that love and so that you can show forth that love. If you're walking in the ways of sin, you're not walking in love toward God. You're not going to be walking in love toward the brother, the sister. As we disobey the truth, there's no love in our hearts then. We're not walking in love toward God and the neighbor. But you say, the truth sometimes seems so far from me. I desire that purity. I desire the fullness of that love, but it just seems as though it's so beyond my reach. I'm such a great sinner. There's so many obstacles that come in my way. Beloved, we believe the gospel. God has worked faith in our hearts. And the power of God's grace is not in vain, but through His Spirit, He fixes our minds on the truth and leads us into that truth. And so what's the relationship here between purifying our souls in obeying the truth? How is it that our souls have been sanctify the text here provides us the answer and literally the idea is this in the obedience of the truth through the spirit the truth demands obedience the truth works that obedience how is love kindled how is love displayed in our lives by walking in the truth As we walk in the truth concerning God, as we walk in the truth concerning ourselves, as we live in the truth concerning our neighbor, that love will be evident. Now, beloved, this is marvelous. We think of John 17, verse 17, where Jesus in his high priestly prayer prays, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We would think that love would come more fully in our doing more together maybe, trying to get to know one another better, trying to work together in Christian activities as though we would be equipped better to show love if we knew the love and we knew interaction from others. That's the way our mind thinks. And it's true that God sends admonitions, He sends incentives, He sends warnings to motivate us. 
But the point of the apostle here is the truth of God is what causes your heart to glow in love. It's the truth. As you grow in your understanding of the truth, and as you embrace the wonder of God, what He's done for you, who He is, the wonder of Jesus Christ, and the wonder of the love of Christ for you, as you live in the conscious wonder of the truth, that love will be evident. And that love will grow. Now we know this is God's work. And again, He ascribes it here to the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is the agent of sanctification. It's the Spirit that leads us into the truth. It's the Spirit that comforts. And the way the Holy Spirit works is through the truth. Applying that truth to our lives so that I know the truth of who I am. That I am an adopted son, daughter of the Almighty God of heaven and earth. And the wonder of the Spirit then works in me the grace by which I'm able to say, Father, I'm able to say, Jehovah, He is my Father. And that truth then works in me the grace to deny self and to live in love toward God and one another. The Canons of Dort In the third and fourth head, Article 12 state, the will thus renewed is not only actuated and influenced by God, but in consequence of this influence becomes itself active. Wherefore also man is himself rightly said to believe and repent by virtue of that grace received. The apostles were never afraid of referring to the calling of the Christian. They understood clearly the work to which Jehovah God calls. They understood this is the work of the Spirit. The Spirit excites. The Spirit works the desire. The Spirit moves us to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. And the powerful work of that Spirit is to lead and guide us into the truth so that I repent, so that I believe, so that I seek to purify myself by obeying the truth and maintaining the truth in every area of my life. And what's the fruit of that? I wake up in the morning and I do battle against sin and the devil. I begin the day fighting against sin by being in the Word, spending time in prayer. In all of that I confess, this isn't my work. This is the work of God working in me to will and to do according to His good pleasure. God is working within me the power to persevere. And so, beloved, very practically, how do I grow in that love toward God and that love toward the neighbor? Growing in the truth. How do I teach my children to love? We teach them the truth. We set before them the horror of sin, the glory and the wonder of Jehovah God, the wonder of the love of God in Jesus Christ. And we teach them the truth concerning Christ. The wonder of the love with which He loves us. And we train them up in that truth as it applies to every area of their life. In the Christian school, they're taught the truth as it applies to all of the various disciplines. And they grow. They grow in that love toward God and toward the neighbor. This has implications for us as we seek marriage partners. We can't expect to live in love where there is no unity in the truth. And so important it is for us to seek out those with whom we are at one with regard to the truth so that then we can live in the joy and wonder of that unity. For me to grow in love, I need the truth. And that truth of God in Jesus Christ, worked by His Spirit, is the powerful wonder that binds together God's children and God's people. United in the truth. The truth that Jesus Christ died for me while I was yet an enemy. The truth of God's unfailing covenant faithfulness. The truth of God's unconditional eternal love in Jesus Christ. The truth that Jehovah God works a desire for purity 
that I love Him and that I serve Him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Remember the travelers on the road to Emmaus. They were confused. They loved Jesus, but they didn't understand or comprehend the depths of His love toward them. When Jesus came and walked among them, their hearts, we read, burned within them. What was it that burned within them? Jesus spoke and Jesus talked about the suffering that was necessary. He talked about the importance of His death on behalf of His children. He talked about the wonder of the resurrection. And as they understood the truth of Jesus Christ and what He had done for them, their hearts burned within them as they were made aware of what great love He had loved them with. That truth of Christ crucified and risen is the power by which our hearts burn in response to the love of God for us. What Christ has done for me. And so, beloved, we know the truth. We love the truth. We obey the truth. We live out of that truth. John 14, verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. The truth being the revelation of the character of God as it's communicated in the person and work of Jesus Christ and poured out in His Spirit in my heart. It's to know I'm a sinner. I humble myself before Jehovah God in the awareness that I am what I am all by His grace. And I don't let any of God's commandments lay in the corner. I'm concerned to keep all His commandments because of my love for Him. I seek to apply every one of those commandments to my life and to my walk out of gratitude and thankfulness. Love to Him and love for the neighbor. The cure, beloved, for a heart that's not walking in love is to confess your sin and return to the truth. Get back in God's Word. Stand in awe of the wonder of the love of God in Jesus Christ. And as we read the Word, as we spend time in prayer, as we stand before the wonder of God's love, we then are moved in thankful praise toward the God of our salvation. Where does that love come from? Having been begotten again. That is being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Our spiritual life is not the will of the flesh, but the will of the Spirit. This passage sets forth a marvel. You and I have been born twice by God's grace. We were born once of the flesh, given a nature that was sinful in Adam. Secondly, we've been born by grace in Jesus Christ through the second Adam. Jesus Christ implants new life within us. And that new life has been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus as the preceding context emphasized. This work of regeneration is the reason why God's children will live in faith, hope, and love. The truth introduced into their minds by the Word of God as it was preached through the Gospel. The fruit of the wonder of the preaching of the Gospel is that God's children are given to know the truth. Who they are, who God is, the wonder of salvation in Jesus Christ. Faith binds them to God and to one another. And they live out of that bond. In true love. The calling then to love finds its source in regeneration, in especially two ways. First of all, regeneration is the spiritual power by which I am able to turn away from myself and to walk in love toward God and toward one another. But secondly, regeneration is the incentive to love one another because. 
it means that we know the love that God has for us and the wonder by which God has taken me and made me one of his children. So that this bond of love established by God through that new life that's been implanted in our hearts through regeneration cannot be limited. It cannot be measured by the things of this life. This new life is given unto brotherly love. Nothing can separate us from the wonder of the love of God. Nothing. That's Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the power of the love of God. And now that love purifies our souls so that we can love one another. Concerning this new birth, our text is very clear. We're completely passive. This is nothing that we personally have accomplished of ourselves. We don't do anything to bring this work on. God plants new life within the hearts of his elect, depraved, sinful people. And Jehovah God works the wonder then by which Jesus Christ comes and lays his life down for them, paying the price for their redemption, purchasing them as his own with his precious blood. And God then continues to work in the hearts and lives of his children by his Spirit, realizing that wonder in their salvation and in their lives. Living hope shows itself in holiness, a holiness rooted in regeneration. The seed is that life of Jesus Christ that's implanted within us so that the life that I live is not my own, but it's Christ's life as Christ is in me and as he lives now by his Spirit in and through me. Now Peter says, we're born again by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. It's important to identify what that word is. There are those who believe that regeneration is by use of means and that it's the preaching that accomplishes regeneration. This passage emphasizes that it's Christ who accomplishes that wonder by his spirit. Now how does it do that? Because it speaks here of a word of the Lord that endureth forever. The Bible doesn't endure forever. There will come a time when we don't need the Bible. Preaching is not going to endure forever. The word of the Lord that endures forever is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the living and abiding word. The work of regeneration is worked by the spirit of Jesus Christ in the hearts of his children. The sprouting forth of that life takes place under the preaching of the gospel. So that the reference here to the Word of God is to Christ as God's Word, as He proclaims that living Word to His people. Under the preaching of that Gospel, we become conscious of that wonder. And God appoints various men to water, others to plant. God gives the increase. He's the one that is pleased to bless the labor by His Spirit and by His Word. Peter writes, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. And then he writes in verses 24 and 25, for all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. The point of the apostle here is the contrast between our first birth and our second birth. Our first birth of the earthly life is that which lasts for a time, but eventually will perish. All flesh is as grass. The glory of man as the flower of grass. 
There's a natural beauty there, as flowers have beauty for a time. But all is vanity. Earthly life ceases. But there is that which will endure. And the apostle here is contrasting our earthly life, our earthly birth, with that spiritual birth. And the emphasis is that that spiritual birth is that which endures. It's that which will continue forever. The earthly life perishes, but the spiritual life will endure forever. Having that spiritual life, man endures. And man endures forever in the enjoyment of the wonder of that love. We can't take anything of our possessions with us to glory. But this precious possession will be taken with us. The wonder of the love of God and the power of that love in our lives. The saints are not only bound to God, bound one to another. And so in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our afflictions, we look to God and we look to one another. And we confess, I'm not alone. Jehovah God lives in my heart. And He's given me to know the wonder of His love. And He surrounds me with fellow saints with whom I am able to enjoy the wonder of that power. Beloved, God has caused you to hear the gospel as the gospel of Jesus Christ has been preached. And God's used that power as such that by His Spirit, He's worked new life in your and my hearts. A new life that will endure to all eternity as the truth of God is within you. And that truth will work fervent love for the brethren. Love prevails. Our sins are many. Love conquers. We repent. We turn away from that sin. We cling to Jehovah God. And God in the midst of our pilgrimage encourages us in the wonder of this love and this life. The life and the love with which God has begotten us is infinite. It's eternal. So that it lifts us above the earthly and it gives us to know the joy and the glory of heaven. Lifting us out of the love of self Lifting us out of the lust for mammon and giving us divine, pure, unfeigned, blessed love by which we seek to reflect the very life and soul of God. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, preserve and keep us by the power of thy word, by the wonder of thy spirit. Thou dost know how sinful and weak we are, how selfish we are by nature. Strengthen us that the wonder and the power of that love with which Thou hast loved us might ever prevail, that it might be evident within our hearts, that it might be displayed by our actions and thoughts in a manner that is sincere, and that we might abound in Thy service. For Jesus' sake, amen.